This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammy here. Today on the pod, Gabe Montesanti, author of Brace for Impact, a memoir about roller derby and loving your body and getting some power back in the world. I love this book, and Gabe is a true sweetheart. So please support Gabe. Grab Brace for Impact. I bet you'll love it. And also, thank you so much to everybody who has been joining up. That's probably not the right thing to say. <laughs> uh, as a patron of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros and support the show today. Honestly, every week when I make this announcement, people sign up. So I'm going to keep saying it. And I really appreciate you. Okay, enjoy the show. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. This will actually be relevant to you, Gabe. I um went swimming over the weekend and nice twice, and um I think it was like an overly chlorinated pool. Oh yeah, gotta love that. And I, my eyes have been so destroyed yep totally yeah it fucks you up for sure i they're terrible i like i don't know what's going on they're trying to escape my face (laughs) um anyway hi hi would you um introduce yourself i always have guests introduce themselves yes um my name is gabe montesanti um i use she her pronouns i live in st louis with my wife and my dog um i just wrote a memoir brace for impact which is coming out may 24th from the dial press yeah i think that this i think it'll already be already be okay out for maybe a week okay um so congrats on your first week of of publication that's great news thank you really excited for you on how successful it's been um yeah your book is well what the reason i was talking to you about swimming is because some of what your book is about is um i guess sort of your relationship to your body through participation in various sports Mm -hmm. um maybe you could give me like a quick want to give me a a quick goodreads summary yeah oh i try to stay away from goodreads but i'll do my best um (laughs) i um i write a lot about swimming i grew up as a competitive swimmer um from age nine through college and um i sort of write about how that intersects with catholicism and queerness and later in my life roller derby when i started playing roller derby at age 22 Um, So it's the intersection of all of those things, um, sort of a big conglomeration of figuring myself out, coming of age, and just, you know, having some triumphs for the first time in my life. Yeah, I mean, I think the body stuff is definitely something that, you know, I really relate to. I was a swimmer as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a pretty specific sport. I don't know. I mean, maybe there are other, like, gymnastics. I'm Mm -hmm. trying to think of other sports that also involve like showing that much of your body for the entirety of the sport. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. When did you talk to me about when you started swimming? So I started at age nine and I, um, I really wanted to, uh, be in musicals and sort of like in plays. And, um, my mom sort of was just like, no, like that's not how we do it in the family. So she signed me up for the swim team the next week after, you know, the school play happened. And um, yeah, I just started, I got really competitive really fast. Like I remember seeing the record boards there the first day and I was like, I need to break some of these records, these club team records. And then looked at the high school record board and was like, my name's going to be plastered all over that thing when I'm in high school. Um So, yeah, I had very um, specific intentions when I started (laughs) and, (laughs) um, you know, 
and body image just came into play so much. I mean, you know, you know, going through puberty, like, you know, starting to shave my legs and have that being controlled at a very young age. And then, um, wait, what do you mean by that? Well, so in swim team culture, you sometimes can't shave at specific parts of the season. So I remember as young as middle school, um, I wasn't allowed to shave for six months leading up to the championship, the state championship. It's because you're trying to slow yourself down. Yes. By creating drag. And then when you mm -hmm. shave, you're supposed to be... Slimy through the water, slippery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like for instance, you also wear multiple suits for the same reason. I still wear multiple suits when I swim. Yeah, I saw that, <laughs> which is so funny. Like, but it's true. I don't know. It's just something that I, I don't know that I'll ever get rid of that. Yeah, um, me neither. I used to wear men's jammers. Um, we <laughs> like we're forced to, and mine had like uh, flames on them. Like it was, it was pretty cool. But um, yeah. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, keep, keep going. You're talking about yeah. not shaving so, for six months. Yeah. So not shaving and then just, you know, you know, you know, menstruation that comes up early with swim teams and, um, mm, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that was something that my family was really worried about. Like, what if you get your period at a swim meet? What are you going to do? What if you can't compete? You know, like that was the the bottom wow. line. That's um, funny. I'm realizing that's also why I like, I don't, I, that's, that's the reason I um, learned how to use tampons, which yes. is like not something that I don't know. Um, I cannot remember when this would have been. It was, that was something that was hard to like scale what i don't think we talk about like what age people do that no um because there's like a like i didn't start with tampons mm -hmm. but then and then there's also the idea that the cold water will stop your flow so yes. like you like i've never gotten a period in the pool in any mm -hmm. sort of visible way um so i used to just like sort of like i would be like wearing a pad or whatever and like take that out at the last minute and then like jump in the water and <laughs> You're just like free. <laughs> yeah. um, but then eventually that's why I learned how to use tampons because mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to be doing that anymore. But it was like, yeah, it was, I don't even remember when it would have been. It puts a lot of pressure on kids really early. And there's, mm -hmm. you know, one of the earliest scenes in my book is like that memory of being like locked in my room and forced to put in a tampon before um, I even started menstruating before I even mm. started my period. It was like, I think I was 10, you know, 10 or 11. Mm. Um, but it was so much pressure from my coaches and my family and um, just external forces, you know, saying even the Catholic church, you know, it's, it's not that they had anything to do with my period, but um, <laughs> I did show a priest my bra once. Um, I was in confession and very worried about puberty and told him, um, what if, what if like, it doesn't work? What if I don't get my breasts? And he was just like, may your period and your puberty go well and smoothly. And he shooed me out the door. <laughs> Wait, but why did you show him your bra? How I was, was just that like, I was just like, look at this training bra I'm wearing. And what if my, what if my boobs don't come in? And he was oh just God. like, oh God, like get this girl out of here. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. It was very embarrassing. Wow. Yeah. So you were you were good at swimming. I was I was decent. I mean, my sister was always better than me. She's five years younger. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I was probably like peak, you know, at twelve or thirteen. Um, and I write about this a lot. Like my body looked like a swimmer's body, like it was lean and I was tall for my age. And um that's one thing that comes up a lot in roller derby. Um, or doesn't come up as like the type of body shape that's most um, helpful for roller derby. Like I was very confused when I entered because I didn't know what a roller derby body was supposed to look like. Hmm. And um, I went to my derby mom and I was just like, they, you know, somebody mentioned how thick I am and how that's like really helpful for blockers. Um, and she was like, yeah, as long as literally it doesn't matter what you look like, as long as you can get back up after you fall down. That's like, right. I mean, yeah. that's interesting because I guess roller derby is one of the few sports that like women 
and then also like non-binary folks mm-hmm. play um where the body type fits the position like yes. also rugby that's true for mm-hmm. it's like a little bit true in you know something like soccer or basketball but it's like the variation is less than a sport like football yeah. which like which like women don't play you know at the same to the same yeah level and with the same support so um yeah i used to i used to when i was in my 20s i dated somebody while well, i was I was in the circus, so of course I know you're gonna find this shocking. Um, but like the circus people that I was friends with were also there was a lot of overlap with the yes. roller derby crew. Yes, totally. You know, like that's of course like the same group of weirdos mm-hmm. um that I was happy to be a part of. And then so some of the skaters like took classes from the circus people, and then I started dating uh somebody who was in the derby and played and um then I also started calling some of the bouts. So like I'm aware of roller derby, mm-hmm. even though I've never played myself. And the fact that just to support your point, that there are like there are like bigger folks mm-hmm. and that's that like determines position in some ways. Um, and that's rad. Yeah. Because we don't really have that mm-hmm. other places. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I, when I got drafted, they were just like, your body fits a hole in our wall that we need filled, you know, um, you're stocky, yeah. you're, you're, you know, so it was just the first time that I was so grateful to my body that didn't happen in swimming before. It's never happened in swimming where I feel like I fit the mold completely. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really, you know, it was a huge moment for me in my life. Wow. Yeah. How did that change how you saw yourself? It changed everything. Like I was just more comfortable being, um, you know, in less clothing. You know, I just, I even remember like as a child being very, um, very worried about parading around in my swimsuit and, um, having eyes like the whole the whole stadium looking at me the whole the whole swim pool and um I never felt that in roller derby back for another game you know it what's going on just one more week till max fun drive (laughs) hard to believe it's been a heck of a year since the last one we're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Yeah, I mean, I just, it's just, I can't even articulate how much roller derby changed the way that I saw myself, you know? Um, and the way that other people saw me. And I just remember doing a lap around the track for the first time and, um just feeling so powerful in my own skin. Um, and I wasn't showing very, I mean, yeah. I was showing more than, you know, I was in crop, you know, cropped Jersey and, um, jean shorts and fishnets. And I just felt mm-hmm. like a badass, you know? Um, and it completely just, it just revolutionized the way that I saw myself. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, I'm, I'm remembering as you're talking about that, cause I, cause I played rugby in college and my, I went to, like go out for the team with two of my roommates who were extremely tall. Like both mm-hmm. of them were, um, one of them was six two and one of them was like five eleven. And so that meant that they got to do this like thing where they like lift somebody in the air which is to to like inbound the ball. That's something that exists in rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, you know, like one of them had been like a high school basketball player, but then wasn't playing in college. And so it's like, what do you do with height when you're a yes. woman after your basketball career is over. It's like, there's no mm-hmm. validation for that. And then some of our teammates who just had like, you know, more body fat than, than like, I think we usually identify 
you know, in a magazine with like somebody who's an athlete and then seeing that those folks just played certain positions and like I'm talking about it was useful. Yes. And watching like those folks get excited about that because mm-hmm. they're, you know, I went to Boston College. There are like linemen who mm-hmm. are totally accepted as athletes and student athletes and like sit with the student athlete section. Um, but it was really cool to see that for a lot of my teammates. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was the first thing I noticed about, like, when I walked into the seedy, you know, St. Louis uh, roller derby, you know, space, this this rink, I just, like, saw all these types of bodies, and it was just, it was like, you know, finding some, one of my favorite teammates said this, but it was like finding my crack in the universe, hmm. and um, it's so true. It's It's just, it's such a beautiful part of the sport. Wow, yeah, and then also, I mean... You know, there's like a toughness. I mean, the jo- the names are like mm-hmm. a joke, but they're also, well, maybe there's people who don't even know anything about roller derby. I just yeah, realized this. Could I you know. just like <laughs> describe what roller derby is? Roller derby is a full contact sport. Um, five people on each team um, play on roller skates and um, one of them is the jammer who wears a star on her helmet, and her job is to get through the pack of blockers who are trying to actively hit her out of bounds and crush her soul. Um, so <laughs> It's a race, essentially. It's a, it's a race. race. It's just a race where, because you go around in a circle and you're like mm-hmm. trying to get Point. through fastest, mm-hmm. but it's a race where people are also essentially trying to tackle you and yes. everybody's on wheels. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. That's a and, good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there was that really, you know, popular. Was it popular? Or was it just like popular with people I knew? There was that movie Whip It. Like that's Whip what it. we're talking about for people yeah. that have never seen this outside of that. Um, mm-hmm. And that movie also depicts banked track roller derby, mm-hmm. which, which I've seen in person in Austin, Texas, where the sides of the track go up in the air and there's like, and you can like kind of launch um, (laughs) players like out the sides of the track and they fly through the air. (laughs) Um, But you played flat track, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And flat track is like, it's maybe happening in like a gym or whatever that's sometimes used for something else. Mm-hmm. Um, warehouses, yeah. uh, helicopter hangers are really Helicopter popular. hangers? Oh, yeah. I've played a game there in Chicago. <laughs> it was so cool. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and they exist, or, these these teams sort of exist in, I mean, at least the last time I was super in touch with this subculture, it, they're like in every city, but I don't know what's yeah. going on with that post-COVID yeah. because this is a terrible sport to try to play in COVID in that, like, you're not really making money doing it. You're like doing it fully sort of as an expression of your love for the thing. So it's not mm-hmm. like, it's not like there's like a whole system of people whose job it is to keep you well, mm-hmm. like in the NBA or something like that. Right. Um, and then also it's full contact. So mm-hmm. it's not like tennis where it's like outside and you can just kind of breathe into the air. It's like you're smashing. Yeah. No, you're breathing into, into someone else's faces. mouth. Yes. Much. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I read some disgusting article, um, like some scientific article that roller derby teams are actually the most disgusting, like, um, like scientifically the what? most disgusting, like they share one microbiome what? because like our sweat touches each other what? so much. Yeah. Isn't that horrific? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I never, I mean, it's, it's true, you know, like we, we sweat on each other. We, you know. So do you know what happened during the pandemic? Are you like, are you currently playing? So I'm about to start up again. Um, I've been skating outside for the past two years. Um, but our team in St. Louis, uh, their first local game um, is this coming weekend. So, um, yeah. So you're um, ready to reintroduce that microbiome into your mm-hmm, yep. stream? I am ready. I'm ready to go. Have you been prepping in any other way besides skating outside? Like, have you been training? I've been doing some weights. And, yeah. yeah, and I'm about to start swimming again um, to sort of get the cardio back up. People don't realize how cardio, you know, you know it's just so um, mentally straining or physically straining 
and endurance heavy roller derby is. Like there's two minute bouts, two minute jams um, within each game. And then you get sort of a 30 second break, but those two minutes are so intense and then you have to go back out and do it again. So really training cardiovascularly um, is really important. Also, there was that period, I'm just remembering that there was that period of the pandemic when like everybody was roller skating yes. for like five minutes. On TikTok. Uh-huh. And you couldn't get roller skates anywhere. Yeah, that was fun to watch. Everything was all sold out. But you were special skates? Yeah. I mean, ours aren't pretty like that. (laughs) Like my book cover has a really beautiful skate on it, um, that I'm envious of, Mm. but, um, yeah, I, we wear like heavy duty black, uh, most of the time they're black. Some people have custom made like really cool designs. Um, but most, mostly they're black and bulky and, um, heavy duty, you know, for skating. your, Your derby name is... My derby name is Joan of Spark, and um, I loved the sort of twist on Catholicism, you know, mm. just to sort of um, play with that idea of parody. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really inspired by Joan of Arc. She's so, she's so cool. She's such a badass. And um, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I wanted to be like that explosive, like spark on my team. Hmm. Yeah, that's why I picked it. I don't think I know why derby names even exist. So it started um, really early, like back when roller derby was still a circus. Maybe that's why there's so much overlap between roller derby and circus. Yeah, (laughs) but (laughs) there was um, it traveled city to city, um, and then the first person who got like a nickname used to stab people with a hairpin, and I don't even remember her name. Yeah, she would take this. She would take this pin out of her hair and stab people with it. And that was the first In time. In a real that, way? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, that was the first time that the owners of the roller derby were like, wow, like these antics like really help. And then, you know, that escalated to like alligator pits and um, Wait, all Wait, when are we talking about? Literally, like, <laughs> do you have like a vague time stamp? Yeah. So it started um, really early, like 1930s, 1940s. Um and then, you know, the alligator pits were like roller games um, in like the 60s through 80s. What are alligator pits? Oh, my God. They would put literal pits of alligators in the middle of the track. And then as... what happens? You you fall into the alligator pit. What happens? <laughs> you, I mean, you are consumed by alligators in front of other people. <laughs> Ideally, I think that's what the audience wants. <laughs> I think that might be what the audience thinks they want, but yeah. I don't know that it's really what they want. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably true. It would be pretty traumatic to watch that. Um, Yeah, it was just that element of danger. You know, people live for that. Have you thought about reintroducing this? I mean, so people do it to varying levels. So um, one of my teammates is Corella Belleville. Um, She lives in a small town called Belleville. So um, her name is Corella Belleville, and she carries a Dalmatian puppy, a stuffed Dalmatian. And then right before games, she rips the head off and there's just stuffing that goes everywhere. And you can see the children's eyes like widen in horror. And um, she like lets out this big howl and then skates around the track. And the funniest thing is she sews it back on before every game. I was just going to ask. Yeah. (laughs) I was just going to ask how much money she's spending on puppies or if it's just one puppy that she's constantly tearing the head off of. Well, that, you know yeah. what, economic, like that makes sense, at least economically. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there's other skaters like Skull Eagle is one of the most famous skaters in the world. And um, she wears like, you know, eagle paint on her face. Why is she one of the most famous? Well, how, f- because, because of being good? Yeah. Like how does one. Yeah. How does one accrue fame in roller derby? I yes, mean, part exactly. of it is. Part of it, I think, is like the antics that were, you know, left over from those early days. You know, she's still, she's, she flaps her wings, her arms whenever she, you know, passes around the track and the fans love her. And Wait, can I look up a picture of this person while yeah, you're talking? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Skull keep, Eagle. Keep talking. Keep talking. Yeah. She's all over the internet. Um, okay, I'm she, seeing. Yeah. And she wears, you know, face paint. She's really good at painting her own face. 
And her sister, Bron Swanson, after the Parks and Recreation character, Ron Swanson, um, wears a huge mustache on in every game. So, um, you know, people do it to varying degrees. People lean into their personas to varying degrees. Um, yeah, are you seeing pictures? Yep. So yeah. the whole point is just to, like, make it more fun. Yeah, make it more fun, make the fans enjoy it more, and then just, like, remember that the sport is about joy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. And the levels of... Does anybody do this, like, professionally, and they are paid, and this is what they can do for a living? No, not the short answer is no, but there are very um, high caliber teams like Team USA that um, there's a men's and a a women's. um, And how um, are we? um, We're pretty good. I mean, Australia, um, Victorian Australia is always um, battling it out with Portland for um, the number one spot uh, for the past 10 or so years. But St. Louis is right up in the top five. Um, Of all the teams in the world? Yes. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't know what I was getting into. I mean, I thought I was just here to like, you know, dick around on skates and learn how to do some, you know, loops with a shopping cart and you for support, you know. Um, But no, this is serious business here. So how does it feel, you know, you, you do it, is this something that you, like, do you wish that this was something that could be more supported um, or, like, be an actual career? Or is it, or does it just feel like that actually would, like, pollute the passion and joy and it's, like, best as it is? Do you have a thought on that? Yeah, I mean, it's a hard question, but I think, I think I, I tend to lean more towards, you know, not professionalizing it and monetizing it and make it more about, you know, the joy of being on wheels and being with your teammates. And um, I think there's ways that we can show professionalism and athleticism while still, you know, remaining true to some of the stuff that makes roller derby cool and special and edgy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, I guess that's like part of the whole, the type of person that it also attracts is. Yes. Somebody who, mm-hmm. yeah, like doesn't want to, or doesn't need, but but doesn't want to like lean in the direction of professionalizing that part of their life. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and when it started, like that was a, a big splinter, it sounds like. You mm-hmm. know, the people who wanted to take it really seriously quit, and then the people who, mm-hmm. you know, wanted wanted to it to be you know grassroots and you know accepting of all identities and mm-hmm. um those people really fed into the culture of what it became like in the early 2000s with whip it yeah um, yeah right and the i guess the other thing that it feels that i'm getting to next is um injury because it is one of those oh my sports, God, yes and i know that you have personal experience with this um but it's one of those sports also where like the where like the injuries can be there was a person so the windy city rollers are the chicago team that i mm-hmm. called bouts for and um there was a former skater um named tequila mockingbird who would come <laughs> to the bouts and she is paralyzed like that's mm-hmm. something that happened to her playing roller derby and she um, still comes in, like, comes to the games. She's, like, honored, or at least she was. I mean, this is, like, 10 years ago. But mm-hmm. she would be honored at the, you know, halftime. And, they're, like, it was, there was, like, awareness that she was still part of the team and part of the group. Um, yeah. But, yeah, she had, like, lost um, the ability to walk. And wow. mm-hmm. that was just, like, integrated into the the games. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like, I mean, the only other place, I've, the only other place I've ever seen anything that is like that is in Friday Night Lights. Like, usually they don't, you know, in football, mm-hmm. when people have like traumatic brain injuries or whatever, that's sort of like shuffled off to the side. Mm-hmm. It feels like that person is like not brought back to be like 
this is something that can happen from this and we know that but it's the person still part of the team so it's unusual to see it you know like yeah. i hadn't i don't think before seeing that i'd ever seen that type of inclusion mm-hmm. for somebody who had had this like worst case scenario yeah. physically you know happen at a game um and i know you also have like experience with yeah i mean when injury. i started when i started somebody told me like it's it's just a matter of time you know like it's not an if, but it's a when, you know, when you get injured. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you're going to get injured and, you know, to varying degrees, of course, but so many of my teammates have undergone, um, what I went through, which was, uh, a spiral fracture, um, along both bones in my leg. (sighs) Um, yeah. And there was, can you talk talk about a spiral fracture? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, I was twisting on skates, you know, turning and, um, flipping from forward to backwards skating. And I just, my, my heels, my, you know, wheels hooked together and I just landed wrong and my whole body weight just, just broke my leg in half. And, um, Oh God, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, and many people, you know, have had this happen. Oh yeah. I just, the other day, specific injury. Yes. I just walked in the, the, into the stadium, like, just two days ago. And someone came up to me and she said, um, Smarty told me that you've had a spiral fracture too. And she wants to know, or I want to know how to put my fibula back into place in the mornings like you do. And I showed her, you know, like how I put my one foot up on my toilet seat, <laughs> push my bone in with oh the my heel God, of st- my hand. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Gabe, what are you talking about? Every day? Every day. That's part of my morning routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's pretty nasty. How did you know that? Did you just like, you just like felt it and you like knew what had to happen? Um, the physical therapist told me that this is oh my, my life now, but it could have been so much worse. I mean, they told me when I first did it that, you know, there was a question about whether or not I would be able to walk again. And mm-hmm. um, I couldn't feel my leg. So they were really worried about um, you know, nerves. So, okay. So obviously this is like the next question, which Mm -hmm. I just think anybody would ask. I mean, I bet you could even predict it. And that is like literally why, Mm -hmm. why go back or why even stay the first time when you said that people told you it's not, if it's one, like why? I don't know. I mean, honestly, like I know that I've, I mean, I've been analyzing this about myself for five years. Like it's a special kind of masochism, you know? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it takes a special kind of person to do this sport and to accept these risks. And um, what was most sort of traumatic for me after my injury was I, I got back on skates, I started skating again, and then within six months, I broke someone else's leg. Mm. And um, I felt, you know, obviously, like, it was crushing, and it was an accident, and I was doing, you know, what I should have been doing. And it was, it just happens. And, um, you know, I sent her flowers, and, you know, you'd be talking about it in therapy, and she was like, why are you doing this to yourself? <laughs> I was just like, this is what I need to be doing. You know, like the physicality is so empowering for me. Um, and the community is just, there's nothing else like this community. I've never experienced anything like this before. And I can't imagine not being a part of it. Sure. I hear you. I mean, the thing that I'll say is like, you know, it's a really different thing, but I get like, like, for instance, you know, auditioning for acting jobs Mm -hmm. it's like you anyone any person doesn't even literally like best top person they miss like you miss 90 percent of the stuff yeah you don't get 90 percent of the stuff so there's like some risk in putting yourself out there because the most likely outcome is failure some Mm -hmm. of the time um but it's still something a lot of people choose to put themselves through and to Mm -hmm. do including me because it's a risk reward analysis so i don't know if that is what you're talking about totally yeah i mean and i make that calculation every time i put on skates you know 
just like, this is the risk that I'm taking and I accept the risk fully. And so does everyone else who's on the track. Um, and that's even, that's what the woman said, who, whose accident I was involved in and, um, she didn't come back. So she decided that it wasn't worth it for her, but, um, for me, it's worth the risk. roller derby is also so queer i mean oh my god so it's like so rugby. queer mm-hmm. um i mean these other is it the fact that it's like soccer i guess also but that's more sort that's more the fandom than the actual players mm-hmm. um although there are like plenty of queer players but i just mean is it like the being able to you know break gender um expectations and like fling your body around thing Mm -hmm. that queer people are like more inclined to question anyway because we already fall outside of norms so Mm -hmm. like experimenting with other things makes a lot of sense like why do you why do you think it's so queer i i mean that's a hard question to answer i think i think it's it's always been queer in a different way you know I think the people who it attracted were people who live on the margins. And mm. I feel um right, right, right. I feel like that's still the case. But I think they're the fact that we can mess with with gender so much. And, you know, um, there's a big push for, you know, not having a we have women's flat track derby association, but we welcome everyone onto our teams. Um, so, and we have a men's flat check derby association, and I know a lot of women and trans people who are on the men's, you know, it's just getting really blurry now. Um, and especially post pandemic for some reason. Um, so it's like, why do we even have these distinctions? But obviously some people feel unsafe, um, on a track with men, um, or people who are physically a lot bigger. It's just really, it's hard and it's complicated, but... um, Right. Yeah. I mean, that's also complicated, I think, um, kind of across the board when it comes to, like, something like team sports. It's not so much the um, who gets to play, um, like, based on a bit. Like, that thing, that just feels like that's, like nothing argument like Mm -hmm. i just like i literally feel like what are you talking about like michael phelps has arms that are longer than it doesn't Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's physically built for swimming that's part of the reason he's such a good swimmer like people have different um advantages and disadvantages based Mm -hmm. on their body across the board that's true for literally every person because we all have different bodies but the um there's another thing which is the like camaraderie aspect and the like shared life experience intersecting with camaraderie aspect where Mm -hmm. it does feel like that's something like as we continue to question what it means to separate teams out at all i think it's something that um that i'm curious to see how like we continue to flow in that direction because like yeah me too you know i think growing up um I just never even had the opportunity, nor would I even know how to imagine what it would be like mm-hmm. to have camaraderie with people that were then identifying as as men. Like mm-hmm. I just never had that in sports. Yeah, um, I don't. Even, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. I know. I I guess I experienced that a little bit in college, like with the swim teams. We were very close, and right. people called us cult, like a cult, like you know, body of people, but. Um, Did you practice together? Yes. So that's because that's also true specifically in swimming Mm -hmm. in that maybe is not true elsewhere. And that's some is that I mean, that's like kind of by nature of the size of the team and the availability Mm -hmm. of the pool. By the time you get to college, it's like just a smaller. But in high school, it's totally not like that. I mean, I remember. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I remember being called like lady Highlanders versus the Highlanders. And that's one thing that's so cool about roller derby. Like women and non-binary people are, are, we're roller derby and then there's men's roller derby, you know? So. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
yeah, that's wild that that you practiced with with men in college. Yeah, I mean, it was partially disgusting. Like I remember they used to like pee in the pool (laughs) all the time and and tell you and like challenge like other people. Like you could tell when someone was about to pee because they would stop kicking, and then you would know that you were swimming through piss. It was it was horrifying. Oh yeah, they talked about. Were it all you the time. never peeing in the pool? Be no, honest. I I was not a peer in the pool. I mean, I did lots of disgusting shit, but um, that was not something that I partook in really regularly. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Congrats. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. I mean, do you pee in the pool when you swim I've, out? I have. I have definitely peed in the pool uh, in past times of my life. Yeah. I think now I'm a full adult, mm-hmm. so maybe I'm like trying to go to the bathroom before getting in like right but, thinking you ahead know. you know <laughs> <laughs> but when i was when i was a kid also like because swimming is so weird in that like you know i was in chicago and um we practiced at the college pool that was across the street and there was like morning practices and afternoon practices and like you it sort of was opt-in like how serious you were whether you went to both yeah. practices and i wasn't I was like captain my senior year, but based on like personality, <laughs> I wasn't like an excellent swimmer. I just can definitely swim. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would not always go to the morning practices, but sometimes I would. And those started at five o'clock in the morning and mm-hmm. I lived a half an hour from school. So like my friend would pick me up at 4.15. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, did I pee in the pool when I'd been picked up at 4.15 <laughs> when I was 16 years old? Like... I'm certain I did. Yeah, I'm yeah. certain. I'm but when people in, were swimming in behind cold you. Chicago winter, <laughs> I'm certain I did. Yeah, when people were swimming behind me, 100%. I'm sure. I did. <laughs> I'm sure that happened. What do you think I was going to like fucking get out of the pool? It's four. It's five. It's 509. It's freezing. Your hair is going to freeze yeah. when you get out of the pool. Mm-hmm. That's how it was in Michigan, too. Well, then you're just a better person than me because I (laughs) was making different choices. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, just, I, I just, it just, we all have the same microbiome in roller derby. We're disgusting. That's not like, that's, I'm not morally superior in any way because I didn't pee in the pool, but. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm curious about, um. You know, you you're prior to this book, not a like public personality. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but the book is very personal. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about how you're feeling about that. Yeah, I had to get a a Twitter. Um, that was a big um <laughs> that was a big moment in my life. Um, yeah. you know, and I think it had even been offered as like extra credit in high school. Like, I don't know what class to get it even to have Twitter. Yeah. And I, and I was such a grade grubber, grade grubber. And I still didn't do it because I was like, I don't want them stealing my data. I don't want personal information on the internet. You know, that's a very sophisticated thought for (laughs) a high schooler in like 2006 or whatever. I know. Um, So beyond that, I think I'm just talking about like how you feel that people might know things about you. Yeah. I mean, it's wild. It's already happening. You know, I'm having, I had a neighbor reach out to me yesterday um, who like saw me grow up and he's going to know things. He's like, I pre-ordered your book. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, you're (laughs) going to, I'm having high school teachers reach out to me and you know, friends, it's really intimidating putting so much of your life out there. But it's also like we talk about in creative nonfiction a lot that, um, you know, it is a persona. Like the person in the book is not me. She's just, she's a version of me. And we've been through all the same things, but it's like a way of protecting yourself, right? Like putting that like shell around yourself to just say like, people aren't critiquing me. They're critiquing the book the person who's in the book. When you say we talk about it in creative nonfiction, what do you mean? Where, where... Um, like communities, like the essayist um, community. And, oh, there's um, an essayist community. Oh yeah. I'm not in that community. I know it's okay. Um, yeah. Just people who write creative nonfiction and memoir. 
Um, obviously you've written a memoir, but yeah, I, I think it's really helpful for like thinking about writing, you know, just, um, putting it, making it separate from yourself, but that still doesn't change the fact that there's like dildos in my book and stuff that people are going to know about. Is that the, is that the part that feels the most? <laughs> you often? can tell I've thought about that one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess people are going to know about dildos. I guess your neighbor's going to know about dildos. My neighbor is going to know that, yeah, that I well, have dildos you know, in my house. I've been living that life for some time of various yeah. neighbors knowing about dildos. Mm-hmm. So let me know. Yeah, if you how need. is it? Give me some advice. I mean, I think the best approach is just to like sort of let it pass over you like a wave. I mean, my mm-hmm. my actual neighbors here where I live now came to see me do, st- I did like this show for like the netflix comedy festival here so that mm-hmm. was like anybody can come and it's like big whatever show but my neighbors came mm-hmm. and then the next day one of them invited me to go like hot tubbing at their place which is like first of all even to be at a place in a place in my life where i'm hot tubbing with my neighbors mm-hmm. was like incredibly <laughs> wild yeah <laughs> but then i like get there to the hot tub and some of the people have seen the show and so they're like oh this and that and bringing things up and i'm like i'm already in a bathing suit i'm already in yeah. a hot tub with you all (laughs) you're like let's also talk about my life and i think it just is a sort of a like yeah i think i just try to sort of let it pass over me Mm -hmm. just like yep that's that's an experience yeah i don't know how are you planning to approach it i don't know you know one of the things i heard uh the coolest things I heard from an author was Roxane Gay. Um, I was at one of her readings and she was like, the best thing I ever did was um, sit down with my wife and make a list of all the possible headlines. And um, like, you know, yeah, you know, all the most horrific things people could say about that. So my partner Kelly and I have started like making a little list on our phones about, you know, like jokes that people could make or hurtful things they could say. And now we're going to be like, there's number nine on the list, you know? Um, but so we're, we're preparing in that way a little bit, but in terms of like what people know about me, I don't really have a strategy yet. Hmm. (laughs) So just cross your fingers for me. Say say a little prayer. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, beyond saying a little prayer, I'll just say that you can totally, it's going to be weird, but yeah, you can totally, you can totally do it. Thank you. Um, I think it's the off, I almost said off camera, but that's not what a book is. It's the outside of, it's it the outside is. of the work support system that matters. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's why, like, that's a hilarious idea, but also Roxanne, like just having that acknowledgement in her own personal life. Mm-hmm. That matters so much, you know, at least that's yeah. been my experience is that like, I have to try really hard to build a real community because the community of people who just have things to say about my work, that's like not, uh, that's not real. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really helpful. Thank you. Oh my God. Gabe, what do you have to <laughs> say to me about, um, <laughs> feeling comfortable in my body. Can you give me some thoughts? You know, I, it's just a long road. Like it was a long road Mm, for me mm -hmm. and, um, some days are better than others, you know, like some days I have this shirt that says, um, fat gay party team, um, which is, (laughs) (laughs) which is a reference to one of the men's roller derby teams here in St. Louis. It was like their catchphrase or something, but I knew I needed it. And I wore it to pride and that day, I, like, looked at a picture recently of me in, like, cheetah print, you know, hot pants that day, just feeling so at home in my body and acknowledging my fatness and acknowledging, like, my gayness. And it was just, it was such a good day. And um, there's days mm-hmm. where I I don't have that. I don't feel that. But that's the kind of um, persona that I want to include in my life, you know? That's what I'm trying to do every day. Oh. Yeah. I need a shirt. I need <laughs> a shirt <laughs> that says, I don't know what my shirt is though. Like, what is my shirt that said that like, cause those things it's like the party team part is the like jazzercise. And then the fat gay part is like, those are the things that could be our sources of shame. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Even though, like, I'm not a fat person. It's just a body shame thing. What do you mm-hmm. call that? Body yeah. shame. <laughs> gay party team. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Some good old BS. <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I love to have it. I mean, it's... Each day I wake and think, please, let me still experience this. Yeah, it's very real. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's awesome to, like, make inroads and to find and to see how much I've changed and grown. And then it's like, it is still funny those days where where it's like, you're kidding. Yes. Yes. 40? Still still with me. (laughs) All right. Well, fuck. You know? I know. I guess it is a long road, as you say. It's a long road. Yeah. Well, Gabe, um, I know this is weird because it's, I feel like we just started talking, but it's like kind of time to stop talking. Yeah, Um, that went by really fast. It went by really fast. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you the question I always ask everybody, which is to shout out a queero, um, Mm. a person, place, or thing that made you feel that you could be who you are today. Do you shout out a queero? So I'm going to shout out um, the queer person who... I don't know her name. I don't know if she uses she, her pronouns, but she, um, she recognized me in this coffee, um, shop in Bowling Green, Ohio, which is rural Ohio. And she's the one that told me, you look like you could play roller derby. And, um, here's this flyer for Toledo's Ohio, you know, roller derby team. And she was just, she was the, the first person that I saw be visibly out you know, Mm -hmm. in the Midwest. And it just opened up so many doors for me. So I have this like fantasy of her listening or, or someone in Toledo, like, you know, figuring out who did the recruiting back then or something so that she, I can just tell her how much it meant to me and how it changed my life. Wow. That's so beautiful. I love that. (laughs) And, um, something else that I really love is are the micro memoirs that you've been doing on your Instagram. So yeah, anybody that you. wants to see some really cool art, Gabe has been doing, they're like little, it's like words and pictures. They're, I don't, I don't want to call it like cartoons, but they're like, yeah, they're kind of cartoons. Are they kind of cartoons? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what they are, but they're, yeah, they're, um, beautiful Thank you. and really cool. And, um, I haven't checked in a while. Do you have tons of pictures of you up there skating? Slash, um, can I'm you trying, add some more <laughs> once, you're, once you start again? I'm trying to gradually okay. um, put them up there. But yeah. Because um, I, I know everybody's going to want to see. And yeah. I know I want to see too. Yeah. And those yeah. teammates. I mean, I just, I want everyone to just be famous and live in the limelight. Like Corella with her freaking Dalmatian Absolutely. head. She needs her spot in the limelight. You know? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So please share okay. all of that so that we can follow because there are so many awesome images in this chat and I don't <laughs> need to see what they look like in I will. life. I will. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Gabe. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> <laughs>